0: Welcome to another episode of Conservative Mama Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah B, and this is the podcast that's fighting back against liberal lunacy, the lies of feminism, and of course, the destruction of the progressive left by refocusing us on those F-bombs that truly matter, faith, family, friendship, and of course, now more than ever, freedom. If you would like to get a hold of me, you can catch me over on Instagram at LadyDevilDogUSMC. That is my primary account. I use it for basically everything, whether it's a photo of myself, uh, family photos, or you know, passing along some um, information. That's where you can catch most of the up-to-date stuff. I do have a backup account. I'm not really sure why. I, maybe I'll take it down. I don't know. I don't really think they're going to censor me. I'm a small fish in a big, big sea. Uh, they got other people to worry about. But um, anyhow, I do have a backup account. It is Conservative Mama Podcast. I get it. It should be my primary account. But for whatever reason, I did it backwards. So whatevs. Anyhow, you can also email me Um you, some of you already know that because you do. So thank you so much. I love that. Um, but you can email me at conservativemamapodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I do, like I said, love hearing from you guys. You know this. Um, so please, please keep the emails and DMs coming. I really appreciate it. Today is Friday, September 17th. That means it's fun day Friday. And I know I promised you guys that I would do um, some very, Poor um, descriptions, wine tasting. I don't know what you call it. I know there's a word. Okay, so let's clue in the noobs, right? If you have been listening for a long time, you are used to this foolishness. But for you guys who just maybe are tuning in for the very first time, welcome aboard. Uh, Friday, fun day, we try to lighten things up. We cannot talk political stuff all the time. It wears you out. It, it burns me out. I know that for a fact. Um, so I like to keep it a little bit livelier. Um, and because we're entering the Halloween season, first, I don't care what you think. Halloween starts in September. Thank you very much. I love it. If you guys can start your pumpkin spice crap uh, like August 31st, I can start my Halloween stuff early in September. So anywho, um, but I like to keep it light. I like to talk about uh, weird stuff. Um, I'm really considering doing a paranormal podcast because I just really enjoy the odd stuff. Just it, it's so much fun for me. So that's kind of what we do here on Friday Funday. Also, I like to tip back a bottle or a glass of wine, a bottle of wine or a glass of wine, whatever, whatever the situation presents itself, right? Um, not just wine, but sometimes we talk about beer. And uh, I try to give you guys descriptions that I think strongly you could probably take to the vineyard and maybe be hired on as uh, some sort of consultant, so these are top-level descriptions, okay? Um, this is stuff that you aren't going to hear from uh, Hoity Toity magazine, okay? You're going to hear it. Uh, this is real talk, real talk. So please know that about conservative mama radio here. We are real talk. Um, <laughs> so that's what I like to do. So noobs, welcome aboard. Uh, tipping back this glass of wine to you. Here we go. Okay, because nobody appreciates dead air. Um like I said, if you've been around for a while, you know I enjoy um, the Apothic Wine series. I don't don't know even what you call it. It's a group of wine. Um, I love the Apothic Wines. This of course, you know what? For you new people, if you thought this is going to be some really highbrow wine, um, it isn't. Okay, my budget doesn't allow for expensive wine. So, you know, you get what you get. All right, you want a wine discussion, go over to that podcast. You get what you get over here. So anyway, I am drinking, finally, the Apothic Merlot. You know what it says on the bottle? <laughs> this cracked me up. It's called, they, they label it as, uh, it, what is it, plump and plushy. <laughs> Aren't we all just a little bit plump and and plushy as we had into fall? I know I'll be plumper and plushier as I come out of uh, winter, but uh, my husband likes to call it winter weight. You're putting on your winter weight. What oh, am I, a bear? Am I going to hibernate? What the hell? No woman wants to be told she's getting winter weight. I mean, he tried to be nice about it, but whatever. Anyway, so this plump and plushy wine brought to you by Apothic uh, Vineyards, um, or at least the label. I don't know what vineyard it is, but the label is Apothic. It is a beautiful dark bottle, of course, because it's a Merlot. Um, it's kind of in that bluey-purple range uh, as far as the bottle is concerned, and the label is the same. So I love both of those colors cheers to you Apothic for once again, creating something that I really enjoy both visually and, um, my taste. Uh, so it's a dark red wine. If you are not familiar with Merlots, they tend to be dark red wines. Um, I don't know. It's a little dry in my tongue. Yeah. It's a little bit dry in my tongue. Um, but it definitely has that kind of that full mouth feel like it just is, it, it, has a berry taste to it, it's kind of a hint of berry. Um, let me try it again. Hey, let's tip this whole thing back, shall we? Yeah, it's definitely a little berry. Um, I think there's it's a kind of a little smoky, so it's uh, you have to make that sound. You guys understand that? I don't know if it's I've got the microphone tonight, so you have to make that sound in order. For, um, if you go to a vineyard, if you go to a wine tasting and you don't make that sound, I feel like they don't take you seriously. Um, you have to get, a, if you can really smack your lips, like get in there, mm mm-hmm. um, really drive them nuts with that. I'm sure they love it, but that's how you show them that you are top shelf classy. How else are they going to know that? Jeans in your t-shirt as you walk in, Psh, what does your t-shirt say? Top shelf classy that's me. I'm like, I don't know, second from the bottom shelf classy. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm not like the lowest of the the wines and, and beers, I guess, but yeah, I'm definitely not top shelf. Okay. So anyway, it's definitely kind of that smoky uh, feel um, or taste. Um, I guess it's kind of uh, woodsy a little bit. It's a little bit woodsy. So I don't know. It's balanced. I don't, taste it on, you know, more like in the sweet section of my tongue, uh, or the bitter section of my tongue. I feel it's pretty balanced. So, um, yeah, overall I would probably give this five out of five stars for me because I do like a red wine. If you don't like a red wine, I think you, you know, if you're more into a Riesling or a, uh, Uh, a dessert wine of some kind, then you probably are not going to want to start off with this one because it's a little bitter probably for what you're used to. I don't find that all red wines are. I don't know why, but to me, the Merlots and the Cabernets, um, I think they're supposed to be a little bit, but uh, not bitter, dry, right? They're supposed to be a little bit more dry, but I don't know. I guess, I guess it isn't for me which is weird. Maybe got a weird mouth. I don't know. But if you are coming from the dessert wine world, uh, you might want to try the apothic white. It is so crisp. It's so refreshing. Put that bad boy in the refrigerator before you crack it open and have at it. In full disclosure, um, my Merlot is chilled. In fuller disclosure, I don't know if you serve a Merlot chilled. I don't know that I've ever had one at a restaurant served chilled. But you know what? Um, The hubs stuck it in the fridge uh, because, again, we're sort of both like second from the bottom shelf ourselves. So um, it's been chilled and it's delicious chilled. So whatever you do you, right? Okay, we are not even going to talk about the foolishness going on around us. We're just going to dive right in to the weird and the bizarre. Yay, I'm so excited. Okay, okay, okay. So this is not a new story that I'm bringing to you, but I just heard about it. So it's new to me. I told you guys earlier this week, I've been watching, I binge watched this show, uh, the Alaska's triangle, which I, it's, it's basically like the Bermuda triangle. Um, But obviously it's in Alaska, kind of gave it away, right? Um, (laughs) Noobs, I do a lot of weird voices. Just hang in there. Okay. If you've made it this far, um, you can carry through. Come on. All right, so it's not a new story. It's a new story to me. I think everybody is pretty familiar with um, the Bermuda Triangle Flight 19, right? If you're not, let's go over it real briefly, okay? So Flight 19 was a uh, World War II era flight squadron that was supposed to be doing just a uh, training run, you know, kind of a standard run, Um off the coast of Florida they were heading out you know towards Bermuda and then I don't know what they were going to do just kind of fly around for a little bit and come back right so flight 19 takes off and um they disappear they take off they fly off um you know into the Bermuda triangle and uh all of a sudden you know they get disoriented so it kind of sounds like um they started off okay, but then um, maybe the, the lead pilot got a little bit confused. Uh, maybe the instruments weren't working right. Um, and all of a sudden, they were very quickly not okay. So um, just for some context here, um, I'm going to read you just a little bit of uh, Flight 19. At first, Flight 19's hop proceeded just as smoothly as, previous, as the previous 18 that day. Taylor and his pilots, that must be the um, Lieutenant Charles C. Taylor, an experienced pilot and veteran of several combat missions in World War II's Pacific Theater, that's who we're talking about. Um, Taylor and his pilots buzzed over hens and chickens' shoals around 2.30 p.m. and dropped their practice bombs without incident but shortly after the patrol turned north for the second leg of its journey, something very strange happened. For reasons that are still unclear, Taylor became convinced that his Avengers compass was malfunctioning and that his planes had been flying in the wrong direction. The troubles only mounted after a front blew in and brought rain, gusting winds, and heavy cloud cover. Flight 19 became hopelessly disoriented. I don't know where we are, one of the pilots said over the radio. We must have got lost after that last turn. Lieutenant Robert F. Cox, another Navy flight instructor who was flying near the Florida coast, was the was the first to overhear the patrol's radio communications. He immediately informed the air station of the situation and then contacted the Avengers to ask if they needed assistance. "'Both my compasses are out, and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida,' Taylor said, his voice sounding anxious. "'I'm over land, but it's broken. I'm pretty sure I'm in the keys, but I don't know how far down.'" Taylor's claim didn't seem to make sense, He'd made his scheduled pass over hens and chickens shoals in the bahamas less than an hour earlier but now he believed his planes had somehow drifted hundreds of miles off course and ended up in the florida keys the 27-year-old had just transferred to fort lauderdale from miami and many have since speculated that he may have been confused with he may have confused some of the islands of the bahamas for the keys under normal circumstances, pilots lost in the Atlantic were supposed to point their planes toward the setting sun and fly west toward the mainland. But Taylor had become convinced that he might be over the Gulf of Mexico. Hoping to locate the Florida Peninsula, he made a fateful decision to steer Flight 19 northeast, a course that would only take them even, further out, even farther out to sea. Some of his pilots seemed to have recognized that he was making a mistake. Damn it, one man griped over the radio. If we would just fly west, we would get home. So it seems pretty clear that um, not everybody was being affected, at least maybe not mentally. Um, So that's interesting to me. And I don't think the reports really say whether or not um, the compasses and, and other devices were going haywire on the other aircraft. I don't know that anybody knows that um, all we really have is the, uh, correspondence between the lead pilot and the, um, air traffic controllers and, and whomever, right? Like you might, like, like the article said, there were some grumblings on the radio from the other pilots, but there really isn't this, uh, robust dialogue back and forth, you know, kind of what is he doing? What's going on? That sort of thing. Right. So, um, I'm not sure. Uh it doesn't appear that the other pilots were suffering from that same level of confusion that the lead pilot was suffering from. Um so maybe they weren't being affected the same way. And there's plenty of reports of compasses and things going haywire. Um could it just have a stronger magnetic field in that particular area? I don't know. Um I think, you know, there's been a lot of theories and uh, speculation put forward about the Bermuda triangle. So it the, the jury's really out. Um, but not to be outdone. we've got Alaska and Alaska has an even bigger triangle. So if the uh, if the Bermuda triangle is pretty large, uh, the Alaskan triangle is even larger and it is absolutely allegedly chock full of weird stuff, whether it is hauntings, it's Bigfoot, it's aliens. Um, I mean, they sort of just have it all. Uh, it, you know, I think, what did they say that there's about 16,000 people that go missing in Alaska every year? That's a lot of people. 16,000 people go missing every year in Alaska. Holy crap. I mean, of course, you know, in the show, they make it sound like they just kind of wander off into the woods and are attacked by, uh, a Bigfoot, right? Like they just vanish off the planet. But We have to assume that on some level, some of those 16,000 want to be missing, right? Like people do want to leave their lives behind for whatever reason. And, um, you know, some missing persons are, uh, just missing because they are, you know, they chose to go missing. Um, I think it's a very cruel thing to do to your family if you've got loved ones back home, but you know, I it is what it is. Some people just don't want to be found anymore. Um, of course, I think if you wander off into the Alaskan wilderness, uh, you're sort of asking to be eaten by a bear or wolf or something. I don't know. I think, you know, if you have never really trekked into that kind of environment, maybe you are out of your league. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it seems like a lot, but anyway, not to be outdone, Alaska has its own, uh, triangle like i said and i i told you right away that this is not a new story but um it's interesting so here we go an airplane carrying 44 people vanished in the yukon in 1950 after 70 years it has still not been found despite decades of searching including an initial hunt that drew in 98 planes three of which crashed uh wow and some seven thousand people there is no trace of the c-54 So, on January 26, 1950, Robert Espy, a master sergeant in the U.S. Air Force, waved goodbye to his wife Joyce and two-year-old son Victor on a remote airfield outside Anchorage, Alaska. It was a snowy day, a month out from the winter solstice. The sun rose not long before 10 a.m., and by 5 p.m., everything was black again. Joyce Espy was seven months pregnant at the time, a native of Happer, Indiana. Uh, Oh, good grief. A native of Happer, India, she was struggling with the Alaskan winter. I don't blame, honey, I am a native of northern Illinois, and I think I would struggle with the Alaskan winter. Anyway, I digress. Along with her son and 42 others, all U.S. servicemen, she was flying from the military base in Anchorage, south over the Yukon, to Great Falls, Montana, on leave. From there, she planned to go to Rifle, Colorado, where she had close friends to give birth to her second child. The Douglas C-54 Skymaster, the SSBs boarded, was a World War II-era transport carrier out of El Paso, Texas. It was a big, snub-nosed metal hot dog of a plane with an eight-person crew and room for 50 passengers. Everyone on board that day was fitted with a parachute. Well, that's nice. Uh, unlike Unlike your regular flights today, right? Joyce and Victor sat next to Sergeant Roy Jones, a friend from the base at the end of his service, who was flying home to be discharged. My last words to Joycey were, if you have to jump, give the baby to Roy, Robert Espy later told a reporter. About two hours after takeoff, the Skymasters radio operator checked in over Snag, a tiny gold rush settlement on the Yukon's White River. An air route from Anchorage to Montana was notoriously rough. There were radio checkpoints every half hour along the way, meant to keep pilots on track and out of the mountains. That check-in was the last anyone ever heard from the Skymaster. Somewhere after snag, it disappeared. No trace of it has ever been found. Now, before I go on, that's incredibly interesting. And, I mean, Alaska is a big, big, Big area. It's bigger than than Texas. So for my um, my foreign listeners, if you're not aware of that, uh, we all know Texas is big because they brag about it incessantly. You know, everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, everything's bigger even still in Alaska. So y- you know, whatever. Um, Alaska is much bigger than Texas. All right. So you do have a lot of surface area down there to cover if you're flying around. You know, they said 98 planes were in the air. That's quite a lot, right? Um, you would think that a plane like uh, like this one would leave a great big scar in the land if it crashed down, right? You would think that there would be smoke, there would be, you know, uh, that would probably be your first telltale sign. There'd be smoke, right? So if they're following, if the 98 planes that were looking for them were following them uh, or fl- following that flight path that they took, they know that they have to at least hit that checkpoint, right, that radio operator uh, checkpoint. So they have to get at least that far. So if they continue to head as if they were flying to the final destination, um, no pun intended, you think that they would see at some point black smoke in the sky, um, a horrible scar in the earth where the plane crashed down and trees were taken out or, or, you know, whatever, right? there would be signs of damage, but there's not, no trace of it has ever been found, that's really interesting, um, and scary, I mean, that's, that's bizarre, okay, um, and of course, you know, they they were just, um, you know, besides themselves, I mean, what could they do, you know, they can't find this thing, uh, and how sad for this man, um, you know, he says, I've gone through all the hysterics and cried myself silly. Robert Espy said days later, I'm just stunned. I mean, he lost his wife. He lost his two-year-old son and he lost his unborn baby, just vanished into thin air. Um, that's so heartbreaking. That's so heartbreaking. And then to not have any answers, that's even worse. Like that's, that's awful. Just, just unbelievable. So, um, I don't know, uh, it, it's just kind of scary to me, you know, like there could be something out there that you just vanish. Um, there is the case of, I think it's, um, what is it, flight 1698 or something, um, where, you know, it's a seasoned commercial pilot. This is the 70s, a seasoned commercial pilot. Um, I think he was a, a Air Force combat pilot he was uh, a Japanese national, um, or at least I take that back. He was flying for Japan. He was Japanese, but I, I believe he was also flying and working for Japan. So he's flying a plane over Alaska. Uh, you know, they didn't have any passengers. It's a, uh, it's a large, uh, I don't know, 747. And this story is uh, the famous story where he um, saw this UFO that darted, forward and backwards and, and, you know, kind of chased him around a little bit. Um, and then he was followed by this mammoth UFO. They said, he, he said it was as large as an air, uh, aircraft carrier. Um, and now you got to remember this man has, I think they said some 10,000, um, hours in the air. I mean, he just, he was an excellent pilot. Maybe it was even more than that. He had, he was an excellent pilot. These are trained observers. If they don't know what's flying next to them. Um, that's, that's pretty good for, you know, that's, I don't know what to tell you that if they don't know, how the heck are we going to know? Right. Um, but he said it was the size of an aircraft carrier and he drew a picture of it. I mean, this is very well documented. Um, and it, you can see his picture. It's kind of like acorn shaped, uh, very bizarre. We don't have anything even to this day, that size that we could fly around. Um, mind that shape. Um, so that's very compelling. Um, he said, uh, you know, that it kind of tracked him for a while. Um, and that was, uh, gosh, what do you say to that? You know, I mean, that's terrifying. It tracks him for a while. And then, um, they asked if, uh, the, they wanted to scramble, um, uh, fighter jets up and he recognized, you know, he's like, look, no. No. Please don't send those because he recognized, look, if they perceive us to be a threat. I mean, here they are in this giant aircraft. They've been zipping around breaking all of the known laws of physics and gravity. Pretty sure they can blow us out of the air without ever trying, right? So, um, you know, what do you do with that? That's that's so scary. I mean, it's just I don't know. Uh Allegedly, I think this um, C-54, I believe that there was something about it that said that something landed, or it, it, they saw maybe a UFO, and they had this, I don't know, this sense that um, it was landing kind of on top of them. And they they vanished, right? Um, but they said, and this was kind of eerie. At least this is a part of the show, so I don't know if this is actually um, elaborate or uh, embellished or not. But they said, you know, the radio operator on the other end, the air traffic controller, could hear what sounded like kind of metal on metal, like something was rubbing on the cockpit of the uh, the aircraft. So that's bizarre. That's really bizarre. Um, but it also, you know, there are tales of vortexes and portals right especially in alaska um you hear these stories about these vortexes and these portals that open up and um kind of i don't know make people disappear right um, and of course the bermuda triangle too so in this way they're very similar right for bermuda there is a very well uh known story of bruce Gernon, right uh, hes They call him the survivor of the Bermuda Triangle. Like anybody who's gone through Bermuda, like there's never been a survivor, right? But um, I think what they mean to say is um, he survived this weird kind of vortex that Bermuda was or the triangle was throwing at him. Uh, I don't mean the island. I mean the, the, the weird triangle, right? So this gentleman had a little kind of a Cessna plane, Um and he's flying around, um, you know, he has been, he was, he was a, a seasoned pilot. This wasn't his first trip. This wasn't me going up and like taking my shot at it, right? This guy has flown um, back and forth from uh, uh, the Bahamas to Palm Beach, Florida, um, you know, time and time again. So he knew what it was going to take, you know, he knew how much gas he was going to need, um, you know, so on and so forth he knew it it would take it would you know be about an hour so when he left Bermuda he would um I'm sorry not Bermuda the Bahamas I can't read when he left the Bahamas um he knew it would be about an hour before he landed in Palm Beach Florida um however that's not what happened so the story goes that Bruce was flying in the air he takes off, everything seems fine. And then all of a sudden this weird cloud system comes in as he crosses into the Bermuda Triangle, this weird cloud system comes in and it became even weirder. He even drew a picture of it, which is pretty famous today. And you can see this kind of uh, uh, horizontal swirling of clouds, um, kind of like uh, they're corkscrewing, right? Like you'd kind of go through a tunnel And so he exclaims, or, you know, that that's pretty much what it looked like. It was like, uh, he was flying through a tunnel. He could see out the other end. Um, but you know, the clouds sort of felt like they were closing in. So he's flying through this tunnel. There was no way around it. He just all of a sudden found himself in it and he's flying through this tunnel. He could see the other end and he's flying, 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 um, you know, not sure what's going on. The the clouds are swirling vertically, which I'm sorry, horizontally. So um he thought that and that is very bizarre, right? But on top of that, his uh instruments were going wild. Uh the compass was going crazy, um, the other altitude, all this stuff was kind of going haywire, as if, you know, it just couldn't find its bearings. It didn't know what was going on. So he thought, I just gotta get out of this tunnel. Let's go. So he's flying, flying, flying um, through the tunnel. And when he comes out the other side, he is over land and he looks down and he realizes, holy crap. Um, I am over land. I shouldn't be right. Because he knows this flight is going to take him, uh, about an hour. Um, so he looks down and he's actually over his destination. It's time to land. He's gone, uh, 250 miles in 47 minutes he hasn't used anywhere near the amount of gas he was supposed to use, uh, because he hadn't been flying that long, right? Uh, it was supposed to take an hour. He was supposed to burn through a lot more gas and he didn't. Um, so just the time and the, the lack of gas, uh, burned through, right? He, he didn't get through as much as he was supposed to, um, is quite a large confirmation that something strange happened. Um, you know some people have called it kind of this uh electronic fog um some people call it a vortex some people call it a portal um it is very strange so there is kind of this um this theory that maybe that's what happened in Alaska that they were flying and they saw that vortex and they flew through but like Bruce I think postulated in the show uh cuz they covered both of these in the show that Alaska Triangle, Bruce postulated that maybe they just didn't make it out the other side. At least, if that's the case, we have to beg the question, maybe if there was no crash site, maybe they did make it through, but they didn't come out in our world. Hmm. And I say, I know, some of you are rolling your eyes. You know what, I can hear your eyes, knock it off. Because it's not that weird of a thing to say when you consider that... um, theoretical physicists and so on and so forth believe that there are multi-dimensions that are all happening simultaneously. You've heard that, hopefully you've heard that idea of um, the past, present, and future are all happening at the same time. They're just in their uh, own kind of sphere, right? So maybe this um, C-54 Skymaster flew through a vortex like uh, Bruce Gernon did and they came out in a totally different world or what if they came out in our world but it's just a kind of a different version like a slightly different version they're all themselves but all the people who they know in that life have no idea who they are Mm. just some thoughts i told you i like this weird stuff it's very bizarre i like to think about it um it's just very interesting. Uh, I think it's it's weird. It's creepy. There's a whole bunch of, you know, well, you know where UFOs involved and so on and so forth. I don't know. Um, who's creating the vortexes? I mean, could a UFO create the vortex? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. But um, there's just so much out there that's unexplained that I think, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun to speculate. So anyway, I know we're a little bit over. I've got so many ideas for Friday Fun Days. I'm so excited. Uh, I just, like I said, I love the spooky, weird stuff. I like to think about it. And, you know, it's kind of of gross too, right? When you think about it, like if you went through a vortex and you came out the other side, but you didn't come out in your regular lifetime line, right? You came out in a lifetime line that's slightly different. And now you're in it. And people are like, like, you know, you walk around, you know all these people, you know your friends, you know where you live. But all that is a little bit different. Hmm. How, you know, I don't know which would be worse. Now you have to exist in this place where you kind of don't exist anyway. Or you ha- you know that there's like no way of getting back. Ugh. I don't know. It's so gross. It's so, so gross. Like it's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know which would be worse. Probably than not being able to get back. And then you're you know, like your family's like... I have no idea what happened to Sarah B. She just wasn't there anymore, and I'm on the other side going, "I'm here. Who are you?" And you know, you meet these people. Like I, I, I would come right back home, and then oh, there's my husband. But hey, who is this? There's a totally different family. You know what I mean? Just weird. Or, what if it's a different version of you, and you see yourself, and you blow up the space-time continuum and ruin it for everybody? I don't know. Could you? If you found yourself in a slightly different timeline, could you bump into yourself? Because, you know, there could be many versions of you out there walking around. Could you bump into yourself? And if you did, what then? Do you break the space-time continuum? I don't know. I don't know, folks. Hopefully you are having a wonderful Friday. I know I'm having a good Friday. It is going to be hopefully a very nice weekend. I... I'm hoping that there won't be a whole lot of humidity. That I could really do without. But it is World War II days here on the state line. I'm excited. My daughter's excited. Uh, Bubba Jones is probably going to be a lot less excited when the guns start going off. But I have some earmuffs for him. We'll see if he can, he'll can. he wear them. He probably won't. But it is hopefully going to be a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I did see one of the very last B-25s uh, fly over the city here this morning when I was taking my uh, dog for a walk, um, trying to get my miles in for stop soldier suicide. Um, So Sammy the Boston and I, were headed out, and we saw it fly over. It was beautiful. It's fully restored, a B-25. Look it up. I think it is called the Berlin Express. It was beautiful, beautiful to see that thing fly over, and I could only imagine what a squadron of those looked like as they were headed off to war. That sound had to be tremendous. It had to sound like victory, but also trepidation. I can't even imagine. So anyway, here's to you, greatest generation. We owe you so much, um, you know, we're being very stupid right now trying to usher all the stuff that you fought for um to keep us safe uh we've got people trying to trying to usher it in over here so some of us patriots are fighting them it's our turn now all right like i said have a wonderful weekend as always stay deplorable patriots tip back a glass or a bottle of wine but please drink responsibly if you have it at your fingertips I highly recommend the Apothic Merlot. That is our drink for tonight. I really appreciate you listening to me. Thank you so much. Love and God bless. And we will talk to you again on Monday.